0: Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. Whether you are driving, doing chores, or taking a walk, we hope the Lord quiets your head and your heart to hear truth and be challenged through his word. Without further ado, let's dive into the message. Hello, good morning. If you are just joining us online, by the way, um, really great to have you. And uh, if we haven't met, my name is Matt Liddicainan. I'm one of the pastors here. and. It's really great to meet you. This is the first time. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I want to direct us to the Word of God today. So in your uh backs, or if in you just want to pull up on your phone, we're going to look at Matthew 25, okay? And we're going to look at this text. We're just going to just read it straight through. And just let the Word of God come over us and read it together. You can also follow along on the screens if you'd like as well, because they'll be up there for you. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 25. Starting at verse 31. uses the words of Jesus. "When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left." When did we see you as stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say on those, to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is God's word to us today. Well, the holiday season feels like it's full in full swing now. And you'll forgive me, though, if I have to cough. I'm going to try and mute myself, be quick on the trigger here, because I'm still getting over this darn cough. It's really irritating. Anyone else have a sickness uh, or been having, been having sick or know someone who's sick? Probably everybody could raise their hand at that point, because um, that's just what the season is, right? But regardless of whether the flu season's in full swing or Christmas season is in full swing, I guess both in this case, Um, Maybe this weekend you uh, were able to decorate your house, get the Christmas trees up, you got the the lights on the house, maybe that's kind of something that you're going to do today or next weekend. Um, I personally wanted to do it before my fingers were going to freeze off, so I did that when it was kind of warm over uh, last weekend. Uh, Maybe you put the nativity set out, you have your Christmas knickknacks, you've got them on the, the mantle, on the tables, and all the things that are, all the surfaces of your house are covered with Christmassy things. And even though Christmas music has been playing since November 1st, we all now recognize that it is proper to play music for Christmas on the radio. Okay, so I want to get a show of hands on this very divisive topic. If you believe it is okay to play Christmas music before Thanksgiving is over, please raise your hand. All right, throw the stones, guys. You know, you got... (laughs) Uh, And then, if you believe it is okay to to, uh, play your music only after Thanksgiving has concluded, please raise your hand. Okay, that's the right answer. You come, you who are blessed by my Father, into your heavenly inheritance. So yes, Christmas is in its full swing. We are uh, on the last Sunday of the church year today. Uh, So next week is going to mark the beginning of the season of Advent. And Advent's a great time. As we've just been talking about, Christmas time is just uh, full of uh, nostalgia and, and fun and beauty and light. It's such a great time. And Advent is this four week season where we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. And that's what Advent means it means coming. And obviously, during Christmas time, we think about the Lord's first coming as an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes. ...and lying in the manger. We think about that. But there is also a second coming... ...that we can reflect upon. A second coming that is alluded to... ...in the passage we read from today. That Jesus is going to come again... ...not as a baby... ...but in power and in glory... ...with all the angels and archangels... ...all the company of heaven. He's going to be joined with them. He's going to return to earth to set things to rights. And that's what we Christians believe. We believe we are in the point in salvation history where the next movement of the salvation story ends with the restoration of the heavens and the earth. So before we start our Advent season, our Christmas season, by thinking about Jesus coming as a baby, let's also remember where we are at in the salvation story the excitement of where we are at in the salvation story. Because Jesus promised he's going to come one day soon to judge the living and the dead. And we should then therefore consider in Advent, this season of preparation, this season of reflection, what kind of people ought we be when Jesus does return. And I'd guess that a fair number of us have probably wondered, maybe aloud to a friend or just kind of quietly in our own thoughts, in our prayers, Lord, are you coming soon? Are, are we on the cusp here? And granted, all, Christians throughout all of history have thought something like that. Even stretching as far back to St. Paul and even Martin Luther, they all thought, I mean, I think this is the time. I think Jesus might be coming back soon. All different seasons of the church have anticipated the return of Jesus. But with the things that have happened over the past three years, I think it's probably only natural that we all sort of wonder, Jesus, are you coming? Are you almost here? Because it sure feels like it. So what do all these things mean? Does it really mean that he is nigh? Well, in, in short, yeah. All these things that have happened recently and over the, the past generation, it does mean he's coming soon. These are the kinds of things that Jesus told us to expect. He told us to expect these sorts of events in global affairs In Matthew, Jesus says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. See, Jesus tells us to expect war, to expect famine, to expect natural disasters, earthquakes, even pandemics. In fact, it mean the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, uh, apocalypse in Revelation 6, verse 8, is given power to take life through the sword, famine, and plague. So yes, all the things happening in our world are signs that Jesus is coming soon. So whenever these things happen, you see the headlines pop up. Put it in the back, put it in the back of your pocket. Okay, perhaps today. Perhaps tomorrow. Or one day nearer. But he also says this. See to it that you are not alarmed. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. What is he saying? He's saying rather than look at these things with fear and despair, instead we can see these things as the beginning of birth pains. Any woman who has given birth will tell you that even though birth is extremely painful... By the end of the third trimester, they are ready for that baby to be out. Any moms can give me an amen? Yeah, there you see, there you go. Um, it's time when that baby is at is just just sitting and in that in their womb. Like get this thing out of me. The uh, rent is due. You know, you get, get out, get out. And even though birth pains are painful and can be scary, they are filled with hope, and they're filled with joy. Because even though on the on the on the other side of that temporary pain, there's gonna be another baby. There's gonna be a baby coming out into the world. It's a time of joy. And so with that same kind of attitude, when we see the headlines roll in, when we see the world events, we don't have to panic or freak out or or give into fear and despair. We can be people of hope. We can say, my goodness, all these things are signs. It's pointing in one single direction. It is saying that the king is coming. And he's coming very soon. And ultimately, when he does come, it is going to be very good news for the world. It's going to be a very good day for the world. And his coming, his advent, is what God's word to us today is all about. And so let's dig in again, starting again at verse 31. The slides are up there for you as well. Um, but in your Bibles, first 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Now, since we've read this text already together, you know um, that the sheep do certain things that the goats do not do. And so the one who are on Jesus' right, they did works of charity and compassion and hospitality and mercy. And those on Jesus' left did not do those things. And there are certain consequences for that. So does this mean that Jesus is telling us that we are not saved by grace through faith alone after all? Does this mean, does this imply that we are saved instead by works of charity, compassion, and so on? Well, no. It doesn't mean that. The truth is it's really more of a paradox, two complementary truths that seem on, one, on the one hand to be contradictory, but in reality they unveil a greater truth, a greater sense of the reality of things as they really are. And there are clues in the text as to why that is. So first it says that Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to separate people one from another. Now as you can see in this, from this picture, there are certain differences between a sheep and a goat. The sheep on on the what, the left hand side a bit more obviously a sheep, right? The one on the right hand side is a goat for sure. You just tell you can tell by the way he is. Maybe a little bit, uh, you know, heads cocked, green little orange beady eyes. He looks suspicious. I don't like him. <laughs> now, apparently, though, not all sheep and goats are this easy to tell apart. Apparently, in different regions of the world, which I did not know, uh, they can look pretty similar. But there are still those traits that anyone, from the casual observer, they'd be like, I don't know, is that a sheep, a goat, I'm not sure. A shepherd, easy. There are those telltale signs that that's a sheep, that's a goat. And it's not just because of what they look like, it's what they do. So, for instance, sheep tails, they typically hang down. A goat tail, points up. I didn't know that, now you do. Sheep have wool, but goats don't. They have hair. You can think about that at the recent petting zoo excursion you took with your kids or grandkids. Uh, and, And behavior, goats are more naturally curious and independent, while sheep have a natural flocking instinct. Basically, sheep do sheepy things, and goats do goaty things. It goes down to the chromosomal level. Sheep have 54 chromosomes, and goats have 80. If you're a goat, you act like a goat. It's in your wiring. It's what you are. And if you are a sheep, you will act like a sheep. Okay, you, you can take down our friends from the screen there, Corey. Thank you. So what's the application here? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And as Jesus says in John chapter 3, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they have been born again. So what's that saying? If we are in Christ, we are Christ's. We have been remade through the, from the inside out. Through faith and baptism, we are made entirely new creatures. Our spiritual DNA has been reconfigured. And this is all entirely a work of the Holy Spirit. We are born again of water, baptism, and the Spirit. This is a work of God. Therefore, if you were a goat, you are now a sheep. That's the work of God in you. And since you are a sheep, you'll act like one. Like I said, sheep do sheepy things. Because that's who you are. Because that's what you are. And therefore, it's not primarily about what you do, but it's about who you are. And if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. So that's the first clue. This is still a grace through faith alone passage. The second clue is in the next verse. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Jesus will invite those on his right to take their inheritance. How do you get an inheritance? Do you earn it? Do you work for an inheritance? No, this is not something that is earned. It is something that is given to you. In a person's last will and testament, they will that portions of their wealth are handed down to you. And the critical difference between your wealth and their wealth is that you did not do a thing for their wealth. You didn't earn it, not a penny. And therefore, inheritance by nature is a gift. But on top of that, the inheritance goes to whom? The children. Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So taken all together, if we are in Christ, we are new creatures. We are spiritually reborn as God's sons and daughters and therefore are promised to receive a heavenly inheritance when Jesus comes again. All of God's grace, mercy, and riches are gifts by faith alone apart from works and that is amazing news. And if you walk away with nothing else, just please remember that. This is a beautiful passage with beautiful promises for God's people. But Jesus does go on. Verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in a prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine you did it for me. Jesus is speaking to those on his right whom as we have established are saved by grace through faith alone. But notice this crucial fact. They are saved by grace through faith, but not by a faith that remained alone. See? And that's the paradox. Again, sheep do sheepy things. If you are a new creation in Christ, you will do new creationy things. This isn't a burden. It's not a checklist. It's a joy. Because that is who you are. This this turns the religion narrative on its head. We do not obey in order that we might be accepted. We have been accepted. Therefore we obey. Your behavior flows from your identity. The life of a Christian therefore should be characterized by these works listed here. Generosity. Compassion. Mercy, hospitality, if we are our father's kids. That's the kind of thing that should characterize our lives. As James reminds us, religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself by being polluted by the world. Now, why does Jesus highlight these acts? And by extension, why does James talk about the widow and the orphan. Are these the only things that are kind of like the only legitimate things that we can be doing? Well, no, of course not. This is, it's simply this. Jesus, James, other parts of the Old and New Testaments, they are referencing the poor. The people who, for whatever reason, aren't upwardly mobile socially or economically. People who live on the margins of society. Christians are called to love and serve Everybody. That's just, you know, we are supposed to do that. But you see, throughout Scripture, Christians are especially called to love and serve the poor, the disadvantaged, the marginalized. And one of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller, has said this, and it has stuck with me ever since. He said, if you claim you have a relationship with God, but do not have a relationship with with the poor, you are sorely mistaken. I repeat that. If you claim you have a relationship with God, but do not have a relationship with the poor, you are sorely mistaken. Now what does that mean, though? Does that mean we all have to be in the trenches, doing boots on the ground kind of ministries, working in the prisons, going into the hospitals, making visits, being chaplains, that kind of thing? Well, no. Not everyone can be those kinds of people. Not everyone can do those kinds of things. We recognize that. We know that. But Jesus is addressing the folks on his right as a whole group. He's addressing the church. Which means, as Paul teaches, different people have different roles. Right? In the body of Christ, we all have different roles. Uh, a hand does different things than the foot does. A foot does something different than the eye does. And so on and so forth. In the church, some people are the senders and some people are the scent. However, no matter who you are, the expectation of grace is that your life is characterized by at least these two things. Number one, charity. And number two, godliness. Charity, which is defined by considering your possessions, your wealth, your time, your very life, as something Not your own, but as something to be given to others in the name of Jesus. It's this idea of presenting our bodies as living sacrifices for the sake of our neighbors, considering their needs as more important and more valuable than our own. And I want you to notice that Jesus, he didn't cite regular Bible reading in his list, he didn't cite regular church attendance. He didn't cite being part of a small group. And all of those things are super important. And it's not because those things aren't important that he doesn't cite them, but it's because it, being a Christian means putting love into action. It means being people of compassion, people of hope, people of love. Being a Christian means putting love into action, especially toward those whom you are in a position to help the most. Because when we do those things to the least of these, Jesus says, we have done those things to him. And what a beautiful honor it is to serve Jesus. That's charity. Number two is godliness. Godliness is defined by behaving in a way that is becoming of a life worthy of the Lord who has died for you on the cross and risen from the grave to give you victory. As Paul says to the Colossians, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Godliness means repentance. It means turning from sin. It means responding to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And working out what He's working in you. So that you abound in more of His fruit in love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, we are saved by grace through faith alone but not by a faith that remains alone. Sheep do sheepy things. Are you doing sheepy things? Look, this text is both wildly encouraging. The king is coming again. He's going to set the world to rights. And he's going to restore the heavens and the earth. This is amazing. This is Advent. And ideally, we want to be sheep, and this is why this is a convicting text. Because on Jesus' second advent, you're either on Jesus' right hand or on his left. Verse 41 says, He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you? Hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you. Then he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Friends, the season of Advent... Is a season of preparation. It is a season of reflection. Experiencing God's amazing grace assumes a transformed life. Like I said earlier, it flips the religious narrative on its head. We are not obeying in order to be accepted. We have been accepted. Therefore, we obey. Therefore, grace assumes charity. It assumes godliness and I will just tell you if these things are not present in your life as your pastor you're in spiritually dangerous territory. Hebrews reminds us I mean very stark words if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And to add to that, Paul says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And hang on this passage though, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And I would tell you, hang on that line. The enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come that you might have life and have it to the full. So today, if you feel convicted through this passage, Through the words that I've been sharing with you today, if you feel the conviction of the Spirit, take hold of life that's truly life. Jesus came to wash you clean and make you new, a new creature that does new creaturely things. The Gospel says that you're more sinful than you ever dared believe, but the cross and the resurrection say that we are more loved than we ever dared hope. Respond to what the Spirit is working in you. Respond in repentance. Turn to the Lord. Don't buy what the enemy is selling. Turn to grace. God offers life eternal and it's the very thing he is most eager to give you. The King is coming. His advent is near. So, when he does come, let us be ready to meet him. We pray. Lord, your words are good words and your words are hard words and we just pray Lord that you would stir up your power stir up your spirit in us Holy Spirit fall on all of us today that we will be people of grace who respond in acts of godliness and of charity in, in our world because we have been transformed help us be sheep help us do she be things Help us be transformed by the work of the Spirit in your life and help us to work out what you have worked in because that's who we are. Lord, I pray for grace and forgiveness for those who have sinned. And I pray for renewal in their lives, restoration and repentance in their lives, Lord. Thank you that you're very eager to give us those things and you're here to meet us with grace every time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you are challenged and encouraged to walk in truth in your everyday. Please share with friends and family, and we can't wait to have you next time on the Messiah Podcast.